Program complete. Enter when ready. I have to make a comment that I'm not uh, sponsored by Burger King. Just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <those> nerd nerd holes. <laughs> Burger holes, oh, boy. Burger holes. <laughs> that uh, one doesn't work. So. That that one. Well, that one's more on theme. <laughs> That's true. It's... Have it your way. Eat it all day. <laughs> ah, looks like I have, I have like Spock's hairline. <laughs> mm, Captain, that's uh, illogical. So illogical. <laughs> Jojo seems upset by the crown. She loves it. She's just jealous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Risk is our business. That'll be. What happened? Gothic was founded to seek out new life. Well, there it sits. Oh, ah, oh. Ah, 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 ah. Rock and roll. Six. We're not afraid of diversity. We don't persecute. We embrace it. At least I won't die alone. Join our Federation of Planets. And reach for the stars. Those were the days. Hey. Welcome back to another Re-Trek review, where every week we cover Star Trek. This week, we're covering Episode 8 of Strange New World, with the episode entitled The Elysium Kingdom. This episode first aired June 23rd, 2022. It was written by... Akela Cooper and Onitra Johnson, and it was directed by Amanda Rowe. Here is the synopsis for the episode. The USS Enterprise becomes stuck in a nebula that is home to an alien consciousness that traps the crew in a fairy tale. So, before we dive right into the review, let's ask Caleb what he thought of the episode. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so I never read I never read the descriptions. Gotcha. The summary, you know? Yeah. Just so I can go in like blind. And um so I was actually like very surprised mm-hmm. at like how this episode went. When he um when he opens up the door to the bridge and it's like all this like fairy tale stuff. I was like, oh, this is this is gonna be one of those like Star Trek episodes where yeah, it's just like crazy stuff is happening on the ship and like only like one person knows how to like f- fix it, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was like very yeah, I liked it. I, I thought it was good. It was a fun like um step into a different sort of like direction. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like a complete breakaway. Yeah, like it's like yeah. 
Yeah. And I think that's what made it feel more Star Trekky. is just because it has no like fluid storyline. Well, yeah. I mean, it kind of does. It it does, but yeah, it has like a thing going on like underneath, but at the same time, it's kind of like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah. I think honestly, yeah. it really, really harkens back to the 60s television program. Uh-huh. Like you can totally, totally expect them to uh like you would you would be like, oh well now these guys are in like old play outfits and like kings and queens oh and yeah like very true yeah very true yeah no i really liked it um Good. i liked Good. all the character reversals and everything too i thought that was pretty pretty funny to see characters in different like roles like playing different you know types of people yeah. not just because they were like fairy tale people but like blatantly different yeah, 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 yeah. like personalities you know what i mean yeah that was that, that was, was fun when I got like probably two quarters or three quarters of the way in, and I was like, "This is gonna be really funny if we get on here tomorrow." And Caleb's like, "This is garbage." I yeah, this is the worst episode of Game of Thrones I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> now we can get into the teaser and start our review. Ooh. Chief Medical Officer's personal log, Stardate 2341.6. The Enterprise is conducting a routine survey on the Jonesian Nebula. There isn't a great deal of for sickbay to do, so I've been continuing my own research. The patient's condition has not improved. Months have become days and have become hours. Uh, every minute has become invaluable. She has so little time left. In his shuttered office, Dr. Ambega conducts scans of his daughter, Rukia, who begs him to continue reading a story to her. He says it was time for her to re-enter the pattern buffer, but she pleads with him to read it to her. He relents and picks up the storybook, The Kingdom of Elysian, by Benny Russell, and begins to read where he left off, telling of King Ridley's battles with Queen Nev and the betrayal of Ridley's court chamberlain, Sir Amand Roth. The only ally Ridley had was Princess Thalia, whose realm had fallen to Nev's forces. As the doctor reaches the point where King Ridley's outnumbered forces are about to do battle, Rokia interrupts, saying she hated that part. And Benga reminds her that she had wanted him to read the story, but Rokia often wishes for a different ending where the Huntress and Sir Adya joined forces to rescue the king. Though she knows it was not how the story ended, and that Ridley would have to choose between keeping his great weapon, the Mercury Stone, or saving Princess Thalia, she often wished for a different ending. Mbenga is thoughtful for a moment before saying that someday, when she is grown, she could write her own stories and choose her own ending. But first, she had to get better. She asks if she can see his quarters when she's better, and he promises that he will take her to see the whole ship. The only thing that I have to say here that is just like a cool thing that it'll be a very extremely long time before we get to it, but it is a it mm-hmm. is a neat little thing that they do, the writers. So it's a 
you, it's a blink and you'll miss it. And if you're not looking for it, you don't see it. So when he turns, he picks up the book and he starts to like open it. There's a shot of like the cover of the book. Mm-hmm. It says Benny Russell on it. Oh, that's cool. And on it's a really convoluted thing. So in Deep Space Nine, <laughs> mm. there is an episode where it poses this idea. Is Deep Space Nine real? Like the show? Is the show real? Or is it written in like the 1950s by like an oppressed science fiction black author? Hmm. It's, it's a really complicated ep- episode. Yeah. But but it's it's like this. It's like this, where all of the characters from the show are now other characters in this like dream sequence. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, well, maybe it's just the cap- Captain Cisco like having a dream, but it also kind of ends very open. It ends very like open ended. Like, is it a dream? Is Captain Cisco was this like a dream of Captain Cisco, or is it a dream of Benny Russell? And that's the name of Cisco's character is Benny Russell, and he gotcha. writes science fiction novels. So it's a cool little nod that like this guy's writing things so it's another one of those weird things is like is benny russell is now real if if star trek is real like if the world of star trek is real benny russell is a real character writing this book Hmm. but if he's but but if he's real and star trek is fake then it's like it's yeah it's a really weird thing but it's cool it's cool that they did it but at the same time it's like a it's a barn burner for your brain yeah yeah that's true once we get to the episode like way down the line you'll you'll understand more so what i mean it's just that stuff is cool to me anyway is like a props department thing like mm-hmm. to take the time to actually like put that stuff on yeah especially to take yeah. like the actors and actresses and like draw them like essentially like draw them as these characters but not really draw them as these as these characters you know like likenesses yeah so when he's opening the book and he's like look it's queen nev it's like that pretty much looks like yeah (laughs) the girl i had fun i had fun in the episode just like when a new character would appear to be like oh i wonder who i wonder what like person on the ship this character is gonna be yeah 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 yeah. you know Mm -hmm. like i thought um Una was gonna be the uh like the queen, like the bad queen. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Right. And it was cool to see that it was uh Ohura. And Spock is the mage. I mean, obviously that makes that makes sense. <laughs> it was pretty good. Yeah, they do a couple cool things in here that are re- you really don't you wouldn't expect. Yeah. Okay, after putting Rakia back in the buffer and Benga returns to work on a variety of chemical compounds trying to devise a treatment for his daughter. But as he tests one such compound, it produces a violent reaction. The sick bay computer detects the presence of chemical 3-QND and quarantines the test container in a force field. Later, he is left standing, staring at his various chemicals, when Una enters, asking why a shuttle crew that had returned several hours before had not been cleared for active duty. And Benga apologizes, 
saying he had been lost in his research. Una knows what he is researching and asks if he has gotten any closer. And Benga admits he hasn't. And indeed, the last such attempt literally blew up in his face. Una thinks Mbenga is pushing himself too hard, but the doctor is concerned that Rukia has lived in a transporter buffer for too long, longer than he anticipated, and even so, her time was running out. He firmly believes there is a cure, and he has to find it. Una is sympathetic to his duties as a father, but gently reminds him of his duties as chief medical officer. Mbenga assures her he will attend to the landing party immediately. Una suggests he rest first. When he protests that he is fine, she makes it in order, as the crew was not going anywhere, and neither was Rukia. When that thing like went off and he started coughing, I was like, "That's not. That's not good." Yeah, yeah. That end. That ends up kind of being like the red herring of the episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True. Because like you're you're led to believe that like that that chemical thing is what's making him like hallucinate. Right. And it's also just cool to see how the ship like deals with that sort of stuff. Like I always wondered that. Yeah, like and it's kind of cool to see. It's got like its own like containment for deadly chemicals and stuff. Yeah, you'll enjoy it when it, it, it. I can't remember if it happens in the original series, but you'll enjoy it when it's like, oh no, and then a a, a spotlight will come on, like an overhead light will come on, and be like yeah, the force field's on, sir. <laughs> <laughs> On the bridge, Spock relays Cadet O'Hara's report that all their data buoys have been retrieved, thus completing their survey of the nebula. Captain Pike thinks he could get used to such a mission. No battles, no chaos, just scanning a nebula and focusing on the science. The captain considers it a nice change of pace. Spock remarks on how Pike had repeatedly told him of the human superstition about calling attention to good things by saying them aloud. Pike jokingly replies that he never took Spock for the superstitious type. Taking his chair, Pike orders Ortegas to set a course for McNair Starbase and adds to the whole bridge crew that he was buying the drinks. Ortegas plots the course and asks if Pike is going to say the thing, which he does, hit it. As Ortegas hits it, nothing happens. Mitchell reports all systems are in the green, but they were frozen in place. Spock's sensors have detected a minor synchronization flux from the nebula, and he speculates it has affected their warp capabilities. Or, he adds, Pike did indeed jinx it. Let's hope that's all we have to worry about, Mr. Spock, Pike replies with a smile as he calls down to engineering. Hemmer reports that they still had warp capability. Spock suggests that the anomaly is affecting their ability to create a stable warp field and suggests using impulse to move them out of the nebula's gravitational effects. Hemmer concurs with Spock's plan, and Pike so orders it. As Ortegas activates the impulse, however, the ship violently rocks and the navigator strikes her head on the console as she falls to the floor. Yeah, that was a little ridiculous. Yeah, it was like, how do we get, how do we get Mbenga to the bridge? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, yeah, right. She gets stand yeah. up out of her seat. Yeah, and then yeah, the whole like standing finally. up, the whole <laughs> standing up to like move the impulse was like, why are you standing up to move the impulse? You know? 
very frustrated. I like it though because it's like you have all the departments like checking in with each other. Yeah. And like, hey, so what's and they're like, you know, they call Hammer and Hammer's like, everything's fine down here. No idea what the issue is. <laughs> Okay, so Pike calls Mbenga to the bridge for a medical emergency. The doctor, who is in his quarters, acknowledges and makes his way up to the turbo lift. A tired and distracted look on his face. As he reaches the bridge, however, he finds it adorned with banners and curtains and the crew dressed in attire reminiscent of Earth's Renaissance period, including Mbenga himself, much to his surprise. Pike notices him and roughly pushes through the crowd before putting on a smile. All hail the king, Pike calls out. And the others present take the cry as they bow before Mbenga. What the heck is all the bewildered doctor <laughs> can say in response. <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah that was that was a really great scene when he <laughs> he's just like what? Yeah. yeah. I like would, how they dressed be... it, like you said. I like how they they literally just took the bridge and then just put banners and like curtains and bushes and stuff. And yeah, I love the fact that it was still the ship. And they, you know, like you said, like they hung like vines and like the set the set dressing was pretty crazy, especially like medical. With, yeah, like, yeah, the cauldron yeah, and pod and everything. And I liked how when they were walking around parts of the ship like the other people like didn't refer to it as like the hallway. They referred to it as right. like the four, like they were supposed to be in the forest. Right. I was yeah. like, oh yeah, this is pretty good. I also thought a lot of fans and people like on the internet really like like Anson Mounds like hair that he like the mm. way he styles his hair for the show and the way his yeah. And so when he first when Mbenga first shows up on the bridge and he has like the parted down the middle like hair style mm -hmm. where he's like oh <laughs> king you're wonderful it's like it's just really yeah funny. yeah 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 it is yeah his his hair is like iconic you yeah. know yeah his his like front swoop with a little bit of gray you know yeah it's pretty good i mean it is pretty good <laughs> not gonna lie i don't know why you know it is it's funny he just it's funny that that's kind of the thing you you pick up on too, you know. Yeah. Like he's a good captain, but you know what? Like his hair, his hair is pretty nice. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. But yeah, it is. He does have nice hair. Okay, and Benga says he was called to attend to Artegas. Pike appears confused for a moment before he realizes he means Sir Adya and beckons her forward. The doctor asks if this is some kind of a joke. Pike is prepared to summon the court gesture, but Mbenga calls him <laughs> off. He realizes that they are all dressed as characters from the Kingdom of Elysian, with Mbenga as King Ridley, Ortegas as Adya, and Pike as Sir Amon Rauf, the court chamberlain. Still thinking it all a prank, Mbenga asks if it was Ortegas's idea, and she also seems confused by this. Rauf suggests that his king should sit, and Abenga agrees he should, seating himself in the captain's chair, which functions as his throne. Routh offers a glass of wine before Adya stops him, asking what he was doing and where the wine came from. 
He replies he is helping the poor, tired king, and that the wine glass came from next to the carafe. Aja reminds him that it was her duty to tend to the king's well-being and that he would not drink anything she had not tasted first. Routh responds that as Chamberlain, his job was to ensure the king's good health. Aja tells him that his words could polish the finest of apples and sneers that perhaps he was better suited to the kitchen. I liked I liked that the throne the throne was the captain's chair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's immediately like, oh yeah, I probably shouldn't sit in the captain's chair, but <laughs> Yeah, I I really enjoy the fact that like he puts it together pretty quickly and mm-hmm. and like is like oh okay like got it. <laughs> well, he I don't know if we got to it yet, but he even at one point like assumes it was the the chemical. Yeah, we're not quite there, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, so at first crazy. he thinks he thinks Ortega's playing a prank on him, which like it's a pretty elaborate prank, you know, <laughs> like even for her. Right. To get everybody dressed up and like decorate the ship like really quick and somehow put clothes on him on his right. way up the other. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've seen the transporter can do many amazing things. That's true. That's <laughs> true. Yeah. Beam the clothes on him. <laughs> now do it now. <laughs> I do I do really like <laughs> when Pike Pike's like, bring in the coat, just uh <laughs> and then he's like no no i don't want that and he's like never mind the coat just <laughs> yeah yeah it was very good it must have it must have been a blast for these guys to yeah this. i mean to to just you don't even care you know you just you just get to goof around and play these like over the top characters over the top characters yeah well it's it's funny because i just was saying last week like how how like crazy that would be to you know for pike at the end to like put on that pirate accent and be like over the top about like the pirate thing yeah and now this week he's like he's <laughs> like some middle middle earth like character you know yeah yeah, yeah. totally that pirate pirate thing really that would have been fine that was tame compared to this yeah. <laughs> bring in the call just out <laughs> <laughs> Umbenga consults the ship's computer, seeing if something is somehow affecting the crew. He then thinks to the chemical explosion in sickbay that perhaps the exposure to 3-QND was causing hallucinations. He heads to return to sickbay, and Ralph prepares to follow him before asking where this bay was and if he had to commandeer a ship before expressing his belief that the dreadful fog was a bad omen the moment he saw it. When Obenga asks about the fog, Routh gestures to the view screen, saying that the mysterious smoky wall had engulfed the entire kingdom. Aja adds her belief that it was a curse sent by Queen Nev, considering sorcery a coward's weapon. And Benga heads back to the turbolith, saying he has to obtain a magical device, his tricorder, and asks none of them to follow him. You stay here. I, yeah. <laughs> There's like one part of this episode where it happened and I was like, this is like, why would this be happening? But yeah, we'll get to it. Yeah. I only have, uh, I only have uh, one big issue with the episode. Yeah. 
but other than that, it's fine. But yeah, we'll get. To I don't that. know. Probably don't have the same thing as me, but uh... it's probably not. No, I. It's probably not. But that's okay. That's why we're doing a review. <laughs> you and I are usually pretty, pretty consistently similar on stuff, though. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes things that I don't. I some things that you feel about, mm-hmm. I also feel about. I just don't, don't, didn't think about it or just didn't like, yeah, say it out loud. And then you'll be like, isn't this thing stupid? And I'll be like, oh, yeah, actually, it is. Yeah, actually, it is. And sometimes it's like, it's like, uh, we do like not, we disagree on like bigger issues. Like, like you don't like, um, Nick Fury being like old and like washed up, and I like really do. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's a pretty major True. difference. Okay, and Benga walks the familiar yet altered corridors of the ship, which are strewn with vines with fireflies dancing through the air. Yeah, Everyone cool. he passes bows or curtsies before him. He enters sick bay, finding Nurse Chapel there as Lady Audrey. He obtains his tricorder and sees on the screen that his readings are perfectly normal. Audrey, who appears to be some kind of spirit healer, holds out her hands and feels the king's pain, saying he should have come to her sooner. He runs the tricorder over her as well, seeing her dopamine levels are elevated. Just then, Adya enters, apologetic about disobeying his orders not to follow but says that Princess Thalia insisted. Thalia is embodied by La'an and appears to be lost in music only she can hear. Thalia is extremely glad to see him, telling him that Queen Nev and her Crimson Guard have invaded her kingdom searching for the Mercury Stone and that she barely escaped with her life. Not to mention my poor little Runa, she laments, hugging her dog close. Mbenga is torn between amusement and bewilderment at the whole situation as Thalia goes on to say that she knows he has the stone. Remembering the story, Mbenga replies that indeed the stone is safe. She urges him to harness the stone or else Nev would enslave them all. Mbenga runs his tricorder over Thalia and finds her dopamine levels are also elevated. Aja offers to lead an attack against the Crimson Guard but Mbenga hopes to avoid any unnecessary head chopping. Just then, he hears Hemmer ordering Mitchell to unhand him. Aja thinks it is the Crimson Guard. So yeah, like you said, he goes into the, into the sick bay and it is like massively different. Yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. And um, Chapel was like one of the most surprising like characters to me like she doesn't look anything like her yeah like her normal character it was really really cool what about uh, the what, the one i was really curious yeah. about was what did you what about lon i really <laughs> liked her yeah it was it was cool yeah and i was it was funny because like in this episode i was like oh wow she's actually she's actually a good actor yeah so again as per usual, it comes down to like writing. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. That's like over the top for 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 some of these characters, you know. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, not to give like, not to. I'm not trying to like spoil nothing for you, but for season two, she's like, she's pretty dope in season two. 
Cool. Like almost every episode, she's like really, 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 really good at it. That's that's great. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's what I said. Like when we were watching this, like Laan grows on you in the show in the season. You kind of get used to her, and she just like as you understand her, you kind of allow her like the stuff that they write her to do. You kind of let it go. Yeah. It's really only Ortegas is like the only one that you're just like, uh, okay. That kind of stays consistent. Yeah. yeah. I kind of figured like Juan's character would be like that because it seems like it's always how they write like characters that like have issues and are depressed. They have to like be like really over the top to like tell you like how bad their life has been. Right, right, right. right. So for like any tiny thing that happens, they're always like brooding and just mad about everything. Yeah. It's like you don't have to do that not everything has to be like that right no but no that's good that's good to hear because i really did i really did like her in this episode i was very like impressed with like how like how well she was being like over the top like singing and i was like man she's like she's she's selling it It it's very clear that she had a pretty pretty good time (laughs) playing yeah person yeah yeah, I like that. What was the other? The when Chapel says, uh, <laughs> she says, uh, what are her dopamine levels? <laughs> yeah, clearly being like, okay, something is wrong with her. Like, what's going on with this? <laughs> yeah, she's clearly out of touch with reality. So, what are her levels? Yeah, at, right? yeah. yeah, she's got to be like off the charts or something. <laughs> Yeah, so here's a really cool part. This is the part I, I one of the parts I liked when I first originally saw the episode, like that they did. <laughs> so Hemmer, appearing to be as lucid to the situation as Mbenga, is being dragged down the hall by two others and warns Mitchell that he will have her court martialed. He appears to be in some kind of wizard's robe, and while Mitchell and her compatriots are in the attire, are in the attire of the Crimson Guard. Mitchell tells Hemmer that he will be punished for his crimes. Hemmer protests his ignorance of the entire situation, calling it absurd. Just then, Thalia approaches with Mbenga, Aja, and Audrey behind him. She tells the evil Crimson Guard that King Ridley was there to strike fear into their evil hearts. Mbenga is more confused than anything else, but sees that Hemmer is dressed as the wizard, Castor, and tells the Crimson Guards to release him at once. Mitchell replies that she does not answer to the false king unless he was there to surrender the Mercury Stone. And Benga, getting into character, points out that per the letter of accords, Lady Audrey's woods were neutral territory by royal agreement. Mitchell sneers that Queen Nev no longer recognized the letter of accords and that she claimed those woods and would take Ridley's kingdom too. The Crimson Guards take Hemmer through the turbo lift. When Mbenga addresses the chief engineer by name, Hemmer begs the doctor to help him, as everyone else had lost their minds. Aja thinks <laughs> it was time to unleash the Mercury Stone. Mbenga, determined to rescue Hemmer, says that he does not actually have it, but that caster knows where it is. For me, I like that Hemmer, because he has like telepathic abilities, wasn't like he was just as confused as yeah Dr. Benga. yeah it made sense right yeah 
And um, at this point, at this point, I was thinking um, like Mbenga was fine because he was in the elevator. Mm. And Hemmer was fine because like he was in the engine room. So like maybe that like they were like extra because everybody else so far that you've seen him was just standing on the bridge, like Mm -hmm. right in the like brunt of where anything bad would happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I thought like, okay, these two guys are fine because they were like in somewhere or going somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just standing around. Yeah. And when you you hear Hemmer coming down the hall, you can hear him like like talking normally. Yeah, yeah. And you were like, oh, cool. I was happy to see that. It it took me a second because my first reaction was, what the heck? But then I was like, well, no, actually, that makes sense. Is like in the scene where his hand gets in the episode where his hand gets crushed and he's Mm -hmm. talking to Uhura in in the cargo bay. She talks about how uh, Anar are like pacifists, like they're not supposed to be aggressive people and like yeah, why right. did you, how did you join starfleet he goes into it so when they let go of him when the crimson guard people let go of him and he's laying on the floor i'm just mm-hmm. like dude yeah like, just like drop them like pull their legs and drop them and like <laughs> get out of there but i was like nope. well if he's a pacifist he's not he's like intentionally not fighting anybody in the episode and i was yeah. like that's an interesting beat yeah, but I probably, yeah, I like that. If I was writing it, I probably would have forgotten. Like that's you not... would forget immediately. Yeah, yeah, because it just makes sense. Like he's gonna fight back, right? But like, yeah, no, that that I like that. It's consistent. Okay, in the conference room now, King Ridley's sanctuary. Ralph shows a map of the Enterprise now representing the Kingdom of Elysian. He show he knows Castor will be held in Queen Nev's dungeons at the center of her realm where he will be surrounded by Nev's most powerful forces and deadliest weapons. Thalia pleads with Mbenga not to go, as he would fall prey to Nev's powers. Routh agrees, suggesting diplomacy. Aja is disdainful, saying that they needed the Mercury Stone, and it was hard to hear over the sound of the Chamberlain's trembling boots. Mbenga silences them, saying that they would try diplomacy first, and if that failed, then Aja could cut something in half. The knight remarks that her sword Starfall is itching for battle, and Routh considers that a ridiculous name for a sword. As they get to bickering again, and Benga rega- regains control, firmly telling them both to escort him to Queen Nev, with as little as bickering as possible. Thalia asks about herself and Runa. Mbenga suggests Runa should remain behind and Thalia as well to protect her. This seems to satisfy her as she will await their return. And if the king should fall, she would sing a song of mourning. But Ralph seems to have other ideas, thinking he should remain behind. But Mbenga commands him to come along. Yeah, I really like Pike being like this wimpy oh, Yeah, wimpy guy. Character. Yeah. <laughs> it's really funny. Yeah, he it's plays a, that. He plays it very well too. He yeah, plays that like really, slimy, really like scheming, <laughs> disloyal character like super well. Yeah, 
it's to pretty, me, when, pretty great. when I first saw the episode, he's like that. I'm just like, man, he's playing opposites. And then I see Laan, and I'm like, okay, clearly they're having a lot of fun here. And then this scene happens, and she's yeah. like, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, yeah. And, or- and Ortega is the same. Yeah, she didn't change. <laughs> <laughs> and her head wound is miraculously like healed immediately. Too. I did think about that too, right? Yeah, I thought about that too. That's why I wasn't um, super leaning into the idea that like uh, this was all like like real, like really happening out in the ship. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I mean, why would you? Why would you think that all of this was like, oh, yeah, this makes perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> okay, entering the forest, Aja remarks on the number of crimson banners and that Nev grew more bold by the day. She then realizes they were not alone and holds her king back before drawing her sword, demanding that whoever it was step forward. It is Spock, portraying the wizard Pollux, who expresses surprise on seeing King Ridley there, wondering if it was brave or foolish. And Benga explains that they sought Castor, and Pollux chuckles at the fool's errand, knowing that he was held by Queen Nev. Aja demands to know what is stopping them from simply marching in and taking Castor. The Swamp of Infinite Deaths, Pollux answers, adding that the only route to Queen Nev's realm would take them straight through it. Routh is clearly wanting to turn around and go back, and Aja remarks that she would die infinite deaths just to no longer hear his whining. And Benka asks Pollux if there was no way he could help them. When the wizard asks why he should, and Benka answers that he knows Castor is his brother, explaining when asked that he read it in a book. Pollux asks if he would help Castor rather than simply use him and Mbenga promises to free him in exchange for help through the swamp. The wizard agrees to take them on the secret route, a dark way around the swamp. The thing that uh, I made me kind of go like, hmm, was when you look at everybody else, like on who, who morphs, and everybody is pretty much like just themselves with costumes mm-hmm. on. And, like, sure, their hair is a little different. Like, Pikes is parted down the middle and some other stuff. But then they get to yeah, Spock right. and he has, like, long hair. And I was like, I don't, it just made me go, like, what's happening? Like, how did, how? Like, but it's not a big deal. It just made me think, like, shouldn't he have short hair? But I guess they didn't want him to see the Vulcan ears or something. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I don't, I, I, yeah, I don't know. That's interesting topic because uh, his Vulcan ears would have just made him look more like an like an elf which makes him look more like a mage so it's like fine you know because like usually like wood elves are that type of character right they're like so that's interesting yeah the long hair is I mean obviously that makes him look like a bad guy that's true which he is he's like the opposite of Hammer you know his brother is supposed to be this like Gandalf and he's supposed to be you know yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I can see that. the The issue that I had when I saw this scene, after oh, I was like, "Oh, that's cool that Spock, that Spock is this character," then I was thinking about like how whatever this is 
has to be stronger than his like Vulcan ability to yeah, yeah, yeah. uh like fight that stuff off, right? Because he has a higher metabolism, higher like mental capacity. Right. So like Hammer fights it off because he's telepathic. Telepathically trained, right? Yeah. But like so is kind of like well, I guess. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree. Because I mean, you always remember like to Paul, like stuff terrible stuff would happen on the Enterprise, and like to Paul would be like fine because like her, you know, right. she just her brain could just fight off. Yeah. So I was like, whatever this is is like really strong. Yeah, to, like, I, I totally agree Spock. with you. Yeah. I think I think what they should have done a couple times in the episode was when Mbenga calls him Spock, or even Hemmer calls him Spock. Yeah. Have, have him, him just be to. like have him be like like he's struggling and then like he's yeah. back to Pollux. Like like he's an inner inner battle. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Or just make him like really sweaty or something. Like you can tell that like he's trying to fight it, but he just can't because he's not because mm-hmm. Vulcans aren't like aren't like an R. They can't, they don't just have like endless telepathic ability. It's like they're yeah. all by touch. Yeah. They can touch something and then have a telepathic connection, but he would have to be fighting it off. Yeah, right. So, but I, I told I honestly, it's one of the few things I I also thought was like there should be some sort of indication that Spock is trying to fight this thing or it or has tried to fight it and like failed in any capacity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But later on, when they kind of explain like what it was and what was going on, you kind of like, I can see that. Like if it's this like super powerful sure. like being, essentially. Yeah, it wasn't like to the point where it ruined the episode, but it definitely was. I definitely thought the same. I definitely thought the same thing. Mm-hmm. No. OK. Yeah. Good point. <laughs> 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 the dark way is a Jeffrey's tube, a tunnel leading to Nev's dungeons. As Pollux enters, Aja asks if they can trust him, and Benga knows they can't, but also knows it's the only way to reach Castor. The tunnel leads them into engineering, which is also the throne room of Queen Nev, portrayed in this story by Ohura. Welcome to my kingdom, Nev greets them. Now kneel. Routh immediately does so, much to Aja's disgust, realizing they had been led into a trap. And Benga suspected as much, knowing that Nev would enter the story at about this point. Nev greets him, then demands the Mercury Stone. And Benga replies that it could be anywhere. With a sigh, the evil queen decides to have her torturers get the information out of him instead, adding that they loved their work. She also promises to compensate Pollux for his loyalty. The wizard thanks her before saying that they had sought his brother so they now could join him in the dungeon. Yeah, Ahura's outfit as Nev is like pretty, pretty Yeah, insane. it's pretty good. Yeah. Those shoulder pauldrons are pretty, pretty yeah. something else. <laughs> yeah, and those like finger ring like yeah. things. Yeah pretty cool that's how you know somebody's bad is they got those like talon <laughs> yeah like talon thing. finger rings yeah <laughs> yeah okay trapped inside the transporter room serving as queen nev's dungeons routh whines piteously about the walls closing in on him and benga is relieved to see hammer 
who asks if they were the only members of the crew unaffected. The doctor believes they are and explains that they were acting out parts from a storybook he had been reading to his daughter. Hemmer is surprised at this revelation, and Mbenga adds it would be a long story. He believes the important question would be to find out why it was only the two of them who were not affected. To which Aja speaks up, thinking the real important question was where the mercury stone was. Mbenga explains this part of the story to Hemmer, and that his character, Castor, would help King Ridley find it. He knows Hemmer has no idea, but since he is also unaffected, Mbenga believes he can help him solve the real problem. Hemmer recalls he was in engineering when he suddenly felt a consciousness press against his own, but his telepathic training allowed him to block it. He didn't have time to figure out the source and speculates that the same entity pulled the story from Mbenga's mind. The why was impossible to determine without asking the entity in question. Mbenga asks if he could make contact again. Hemmer is reluctant having found the contact unpleasant, comparing it to feeling like his brain was being squeezed through his nose, but was able to determine that the entity did not come from a ship, but from the Genesian nebula itself. Mbenga wonders if they could find out more from the ship's scanners, and Hemmer agrees it was possible, but first they had to escape. Playing the part for a moment, he thinks he could help with the powerful magic called science as he produces a laser cutter from under his robe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I liked that their whole like interaction like in the in the cell there. Yeah. It's this realization that like okay, we're the only two like on board that like have any idea of what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like we need to like figure this out like as soon as possible. And meanwhile, like the captains there complaining about like being locked up. <laughs> it is yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. the situation is so bad. I was thinking if uh if you spun this on its head and replied this to our RPG crew. Yeah. It would literally be you talking to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Yeah, that's funny. He'd be like, Clark, what do you think about he'd be like, I'm not sure, Doctor. What do you <laughs> he'd have to he'd have to turn from one side of the camera to the other every time you were yeah. talking to somebody else? Don't worry, Doctor. I brought science. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, that would be funny. The other thing that made me laugh, and I wish that they did a just a little something like hammer to kind of like give him a face is when he says to him mm -hmm. like it's from a storybook he's like this is stuff that's happening from a storybook that he's been reading to his doctor and or doctor he's been reading <laughs> to his daughter and uh, yeah Hemmer kind of is like what and Abenga's like uh yeah. it's a long story and i just thought him saying long yeah. story was kind of like kind of a nail like hitting the nail on the head and i thought it'd be funny if hammer was like <laughs> like Mm, like this is yeah. a long story. <laughs> well, it would have been even funnier too. Well, if it was Hammer's not like that, but if it was like a Spock type character, oh yeah, you would yeah, say, yeah. "Well, yeah, it's a book I read to my daughter," and and then he says, "Yeah, it's a long story." If it'd be funny if the character like Spock would be like, 
well yeah but how many like how many pages is it right. <laughs> how many pages is this long story like a drag like a drax right like a yeah yeah well yeah, can't yeah. books aren't usually that long <laughs> <laughs> okay as he prepares to cut through the metal door hammer asks what a human magician would say and Abenga answers with abracadabra which hammer seems to like <laughs> He warns the others not to look, as it would blind them. When Routh asks what about him, the naturally blind Anar answers only, I am a wizard. He cuts through the lock of the door and it opens and opens it for them to escape. Routh is relieved and immediately rushes through first, followed <laughs> by the amused Mbenga. Aja compliments the wizard, saying she likes the science. A thoroughly satisfied Hemmer blows the tip of his cutter as if it was smoke from a six shooter. I really liked the like abracadabra thing, and yeah, the, yeah, yeah, uh... yeah. <laughs> that was a good touch. Yeah. I like as it goes on, like Hammer still sort of play, like he goes along with it. Oh, that <laughs> like part, a good time. <laughs> that part that we get to in a little bit is like some of the best stuff I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. Okay, Nev is, is incensed to learn the prisoners have escaped, with Mitchell explaining Castor conjured them out. When the queen asks why she was standing there cowering instead of chasing them, Mitchell replies she was about to. Nev angrily replies that she was about to lose her head, and that she would be grateful her queen was feeling merciful today, giving her crimson guards another chance to regain her favor. She turns to Pollux, commanding him to lead her guards to hunt down the prisoners before she put him in the dungeon in their place. The thing I always think about in anything, and I know this is like not normal, this is like foolish fairy tale children writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always think the per like the head the person comes to the to the king or the ruler and they're like, they're like, sir, they've escaped. And he's like, why are you here telling me this when you should be capturing them? And then they're like, I was, sir, but I, you know, and then they're like, and they're always mad. And, and I'm like, what, yeah. what did you really expect? You expected the escape to happen, that this individual would immediately chase after them. And then on their way, they'd be like, hey, you random nobody, go tell the queen or king or person that like they've yeah. escaped and I'm going to chase after them. Like that's yeah. what they expect. Send a raven. And right, tell exactly. the king, exactly. I'm in pursuit. <laughs> well, it's yeah. one of those other things too, where like if they just pursued the person and didn't like tell the king, then the king would be all like mad about like right, you right. didn't even inform me of what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> so you're just a lose lose situation. Yeah, that's why we don't like kings. Yeah, and queens. <laughs> <laughs> But it's always it's always funny too, like you're saying. Like it always reminds me of like the the Queen of Hearts, right in Alice in oh, Wonderland. Wow, yes. It's like um, you know, her big thing is like off with their head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like you're gonna get to a certain point where like you don't have people in your like kingdom. No... <laughs> yeah. You kill everybody off for being idiots, and then like you don't have a kingdom anymore. Yeah. So that doesn't do any good either. How's that working for you, buddy? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Making their way to engineering. Making their way to to engineering. (laughs) Hemmer explains he can block the door to allow them time to access the ship's scanners. 
just as Pollux and the Crimson Guards approach. Aja commands them to get out of the way, or what, Mitchell sneers, as the loyal knight was unarmed. This does not present much trouble for Aja, who takes down one of the Crimson Guards and arms herself with his blade. Rouse suggests he should retreat to the castle and quickly runs away. Hemmer is incredulous <laughs> at the idea of Pike running away, and Mbenga explains that his character was not known for bravery. Meanwhile, Aja is holding her own for a time, but is soon overpowered. As Mitchell is about to come in for the kill, several arrows fly down the corridor. Pollux wisely decides to retreat. Their rescuer is Una, in character as Zamira, the Huntress, a friend of Sir Aja. Hemmer impatiently suggests carrying on to engineering, and Mbenga agrees it was time to end the fantasy before someone seriously got hurt. Yeah. <laughs> the red shirts who got arrows in their chests, those that's so that's so this is my this was my complaint that I talked about earlier. Okay. He's you know, first of all, he's the medical, he's the medical staff, right? He's the medical doctor on board. And he's like very much like, okay, this is a story. These are like real crew members and like things can things, bad things can happen. Right. And they get to this point and he's like, yeah, you can fight each other with swords. I'm fine with that. (laughs) (laughs) Why are you letting this happen? Yeah. Don't go to like, you know, don't take like a a hypo spray from like medical anything just like let these people fight each other with swords (laughs) i totally agree and then get shot with arrows you're like this is kind of ridiculous you know yeah really honestly and then and then that like so like that happens right it'd be fine with it and then that line he's like well we better stop this before anything serious happens like that could have been pretty serious (laughs) this this interchange here could have been pretty serious the eyeball or something right yeah (laughs) it is funny too there was some things i think they were trying to like dance dance with it because there's some scenes where uh ortegas is like got the guys and she's got the sword and it's like clink clink and it's like okay in real life, in a fairy tale, and doesn't matter, mm-hmm. you would be like, and slice you with the sword. But instead, she just pushes them. She's like, eh, yeah, pushes them into the wall. Yeah, the choreography seemed kind of like a little slow, too. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, but you know, the other thing too, like to play like the other side of that is um it's a kid's book. You know what? I thought about that too. Yeah. So it's not going to be overly like bloody and like people like always stabbing each other. It's going to be these things where like these people fight, but they don't like maim or hurt each other. They like right. just yeah. fight and get out of the situation. Yeah. So like I can let it slide, you know. But I mean, she legitimately shoots arrows like into their chest, like collarbone, chest, shoulder. Yeah. Arms. Like it's That's not true. good. <laughs> no. But with their tech, with their their tech that's not a big yeah i mean i guess at the end of it they do say it only five hours went by so those guys were only on the ground for a few a few little beats yeah and you kind of come to the assumption too at the end of the episode that like everybody was kind of like in perfect health throughout the whole thing you know like yeah like they were all impervious anyway you know what i mean oh yeah maybe that's a good point yeah with her thing getting healed yeah maybe yeah like everybody was just fine. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. As he conducts scans and engineering, Hemmer is puzzled by the readings. 
The scanners detect a single life form with neural activity, but no sign of a physical body. A consciousness without physical form, floating in space, with the power to create a new reality. Zemiris thinks it sounds almost like a god. Hemmer asks Mbenga if he's familiar with the theory of the Boltzmann brain, and the doctor recalls hearing something of it in university. Hemmer explains that it was a spontaneously generated consciousness and thinks that they have now encountered one. Mbenga puzzles over this. So one day, out of nothing, an all-powerful being just appears, and this consciousness has somehow trapped our ship in the nebula and turned the crew into characters from a book I've read. Hemmer points out that at least it made Mbenga the hero of the story. Supposing that Hemmer is right, Mbenga wonders, how do they get it to stop? Hemmer speculates that Mbenga himself is the source of the problem as their environment was created from his reading of the story. Perhaps the entity would release them if the connection were somehow severed, if Mbenga were injured, for instance. Aja thinks that this is a threat to her king, and Mbenga orders her to stand down. Samira offers to shoot him with an arrow, and is confused when she gets a slap on the arm for her suggestion, as she thought they were trying to hurt the king. They begin to argue about their service. Aja to King Ridley, Zemira as hunters of the forest, when Hemmer suggests their differences were what brought them together. And Benga realizes something was wrong. He knew that was not how the story went, as Aja and Zemira never met. He realizes that the entire fantasy is actually based on Rukia's expressed wish that Aja and Zemira joined forces to save King Ridley. She had said she hated how the story ended and wanted Aja and Zemira to team up. Hemmer incredulously asks if the story was not actually taken from Mbenga himself, but from his daughter, and Mbenga's nod is all the answer needed. Where is Rukia? is Hemmer's next question. Returning to sickbay, Mbenga checks the transporter, but discovers that the pattern buffer is empty. Rukia is gone. I like this. I like this reveal. Yeah. That like the story was different. It was the story was Rokia's version. And like, so like as soon as this happened, I knew uh, she was the like stone that Mm. they were looking for. Okay. Because it it was like, I just had this thing in my brain where it's like, okay, so she's going to be that main like weapon thing that they're looking for the yeah, it, that was cool. Yeah, it was interesting how how they went about with it too. Because I wasn't sure how how when I first was watching, I was like, "Well, when they get to the point where Benga's like Hammer and Benga are trying to work it out, and they're he's like, well, clearly it's taking it from your mind." And he's like, "Yeah, but why?" And mm-hmm. all this stuff, and then and then you read, then he puts it together, and then you also, as the audience, put it together. It's like, oh yeah, that that's right. The daughter w- always liked this relationship as brought out earlier in the episode yeah yeah Yeah. so then you're kind of thinking like whatever this thing is it's it's um it's doing this like for his daughter yeah exactly so mbenga discovers rukia was taken out of the pattern buffer at 0845 uh that morning and beamed somewhere onto the ship but the computer is not telling him precisely where 
He explains to Hemmer that his daughter is very ill, and the longer she is out of the buffer, the faster her illness progresses. Hemmer immediately offers to help, and Benga thinks that Rakia is the key to getting them out of the situation. Just outside, Pollux is listening and smiles to himself before going to report his findings to Queen Nev. So it's even more crazy that she gets like pulled out of the transporter. It's not like she's in there. Yeah. Yeah, and he's like kind of freaking out because, you know, like obviously like the longer she's out, the more like rapidly her disease takes over. It is funny though that like all this stuff they do and then you get to it, but like Hammer's like, where do you think she would be? He's like, oh, you know, I should probably go check my room. (laughs) (laughs) Nev is incredulous at the idea that the Mercury Stone is in fact a girl, but then realizes the implications. If this was true, she would simply take her as her own. When Pollux asks how, Nev gestures to her guards, who bring in Routh. Gibbering about how he was too young to die and pleads for mercy, Nev tells him that whether he lived or died depended on him. He asks what she wants of him, and she demands his loyalty. He is surprised at the simplicity of her demand and readily bows before her. She chuckles in satisfaction. She's like, loyalty, and he's like, oh, got it. (laughs) (laughs) He, like, bows, and he's immediately like, whatever you need, my liege. (laughs) It's like immediately changed sides. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, I really enjoyed him just being, like, just, like you said, just like a rat. Just an absolutely, just, yeah. Slime bag. It's really funny to have the captain play, like, this, this coward yeah, he's not the Boy Scout this week. <laughs> nope. He certainly is not the Boy Scout. Okay, back in sickbay, Audrey is mixing a cauldron while Zamira rushes off hearing the forest's call, as Ajit puts it. And Benga becomes frustrated with his inability to find Rukia, and Hemmer suggests that maybe they were looking at it the wrong way, asking where his daughter would want to go. Recalling that the last conversation he had with her, and Benga heads towards his quarters. Routh is waiting for them, glad to see his king alive and safe. No thanks to his cowardice, as Aja points out. And Benga tells them it was not the time to fight, as he had to get inside his quarters. He orders the doors to open, just as Routh pulls a knife and holds it to his throat. Nev and her crimson guards, joined by Pollux, march down the corridor. Aja reluctantly puts her own sword on the floor, and Routh mockingly apologizes. Did you really think I was going to let you destroy everything I've worked for, King Ridley? Nev asks. <laughs> it's funny how, um, like you said, he puts it together, and then he gets there, and he's like, open. And then he's like, you can see on his face that he must see Rukia, because his face kind of changes for a brief second. Yeah. And like, yeah, and then the- and then there's Pike with the blade, like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I like too that like he even knew that the guy like portrays like betrays oh, the king, but like yeah, yeah. was so caught up in the whole thing that he wasn't even thinking about the book anymore. Yeah. That's a weird um that's a weird commercial cut too. Oh. Cause it because it goes, you know, goes to commercial. You know, like mm-hmm. obviously because it goes black, and um, then when it comes back, like everybody's 
all the bad guys are on the other side of the hallway. Like nobody's around. Oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah. they're all like separated. You know, like immediately. Yeah. So yeah. I'm just like, that's kind of a weird jump, <laughs> jump cut like that. Yeah, definitely like a blocking issue where like where they're yeah. standing for cameras and yeah, yeah. And because like what happens next, like they can't all be next to each other. <laughs> right, 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 right. That's a pretty classic thing in like this type of like franchise stuff, like like um like fantasy where it's like the king is betrayed and oh yeah, yeah. and Pike did a really good job of like selling it, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I really I really enjoyed it. Yeah, he really. Yeah, he's he's good at his job. He knows what he's he knows how to make you hate him and like him at the same time. It makes you really really appreciate like Ensign Mound, like the, just the way he and any role he gets in the show, like he just like nails it, you know. Yeah. Then you think about how how clearly how great of an actor he is to play Black Bolt, who can't who doesn't really talk, and his acting is all done like oh with his face. I didn't even, I didn't even realize like it was the same character. Yeah, it's the guy from same actor. Yeah, it's the same guy. Wow, pretty great, right? yeah, that's pretty, great, pretty good. Yeah, that tells you how good of an actor he is. He's not even talking. He just says things like "I'm sorry." <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Aja is apologetic having suspected that Chamberlain would betray them. And Benga ruefully admits he should have remembered that too, as that was what happened in the book. Routh mockingly apologizes again, saying that he had been promised Ridley's kingdom in return for his loyalty. As King Ridley would not bend the knee before her, Nev found someone who would. Pollux calls upon his brother to surrender, as his powers were greater, and there was no need for any of them to die. The evil queen agrees, and that all she wanted was the Mercury Stone. And Benga is now wrathful, both in character as Rid- King Ridley and as a father, and tells his foe that she will not touch his daughter, or he will bring the full might of his kingdom down upon her. Hemmer, trying to play along, decides to unleash the full power of his powerful <laughs> wizard, Powers, <laughs> and uses a... Com- Communicator, he grabbed in sickbay to beam Nev, Pollux, and the Crimson Guards into a cargo bay. Once again, the power of science prevails, he crows dramatically, before asking if it was too much. And Benga looks amused as he asks Aja to guard his quarters. <laughs> yeah, man, that was so funny. The scene is so good. Yeah. The whole, like, him, like, struggling for words, like, play along. Yeah. Like, I'm going to band you to a realm of bad things full of (laughs) horrible creatures. And Spock's like, that doesn't exist. (laughs) 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 And he does the whole, like, (laughs) (laughs) like, oh man, that's pretty good. Yeah. I appreciated that a lot, you know. Yeah. It was totally, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Just him with his fingers, like doing all the weird, like things. He's yeah, like, yeah. I'm... yeah. Ooh, he's getting he's summoning his <laughs> wizard powers of wizard wizardry. 
good you stuff. You'll never defeat me, brother. I'm stronger. I know more about wizard powers than you'll ever know. Oh. <laughs> it was so funny. Oh, I loved it. It's literally like how we feel sometimes playing our, our RPG. Like, yeah, just yeah. kind of making things up on the fly. This is totally something one of you guys would do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I picture like John, I picture John doing it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, let me yeah. use my powerful wizardry powers of wizardness. <laughs> Inside in Benga's quarters, Rukia is looking out the viewport into the nebula and is overjoyed to see her father. Taking up his medical tricorder, Mbenga scans Rukia and is astonished to find no trace of signochemia. When he asks mm-hmm. how, Rukia says that her friend made her better, looking outside. Mbenga realizes she means the life form in the nebula. Rukia has been watching her father play the role of King Ridley and asks if he had fun doing it. He admits he did but ask if things could be brought back to normal. Rukia asks why, as her friend told her they could play as long as she wanted. But Mbenga tells her that though he's sure her friend didn't mean to, it was hurting his friends, and that they had to return to their lives. She asks if this meant she had to go back into the buffer, and he admits he doesn't know, as he doesn't fully understand what is going on. He asks to speak to her friend, but Rokia explains it didn't work that way. Hammer decides to offer his assistance there, though he had said it would risk his life. Hammer thinks that if Rokia told her friend they needed to talk, the entity might be more inclined to cooperate. Rokia looks out the viewport and says that they would like to talk. Hammer offers to allow them to speak through him, asking only that they be gentle. So pretty, I mean, pretty cool that like this thing sees the daughter and does all this stuff, and then it's like mm-hmm. basically trying to be friendly with her. Well, it sees a lot of itself in the daughter. Yeah, kind of like lonely and locked away, and yeah, and it also really shows how cool Hemmer is too, because like the doctor's like, man, didn't did you just like literally tell me that this was going to be like the worst life? Yeah. Yeah, should be all right. Yeah. Maybe if I tell this entity, like, hey, so don't explode my brain. That would be great. (laughs) The Anar's body shudders as the presence enters his mind before he speaks again in an altered voice. You must not take the child, the entity says. And Benga assures them that no harm was meant, but that the fantasy must end as it was harming the crew. The entity calls the lives of the crew inconsequential, saying that he must protect the child. Mbenga realizes that the entity has formed an attachment to Rukia, and they confirm this, saying that they were alike. Rukia explains that they were lonely as she was. Mbenga asks how the entity knew this, and they reply that while they probed the Enterprise, they found Rukia imprisoned in the pattern buffer. They sensed her loneliness, and it matched their own, so they created this world for her, where she would have a piece of her childhood that he had seemingly denied her. Mbega is indignant at the accusation, saying that he was seeking a cure for her, 
and everything he did was for her. He again asks the entity to release the ship and crew, but the entity replies that if, if they leave, Rukia will die. Their proximity was what made her well, and if they allowed the ship to leave, she would grow sick again. And Benga is adamant that the ship cannot stay. Then you must make a choice, the entity replies, the crew or your daughter. And Benga protests that he cannot be forced to make the, that choice. Rukia says that she enjoyed being outside the buffer, but would return to it if she had to. And Benga is adamant there must be another way, and the entity replies that there is. The Enterprise and her crew could leave, but Rukia had to stay. And Benga asks how she would live, and the entity replies that it was only her body that was ill. Her consciousness would join with the entity, and where she uh, would join with the entity, where she would be free of sickness and would never know death. Okay. Yeah. I think this is what I'm gonna this is what I'm gonna talk about before this is the it hill. actually this is, happens. This is the hill you're gonna die on. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I get it. I totally understand like the angle here. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't know anything about the entity other than what the entity is telling him. Right. Right. Oh, I'm I'm a, I'm a thing in this nebula. I'm lonely. When I scanned your ship, I found your daughter, and we have a matched loneliness. So therefore, I created this fantasy for her, so mm-hmm. that she could play for as long as she wanted, because she's denied fun and happiness. And you're a terrible father. And then, yeah. and Benga's like, um, you know. Okay. <laughs> understand everything and so yeah. on and so forth. The thing that I have the biggest hard time with is, is like he's pretty quick to let his daughter go. Yeah. And it wasn't he wasn't forced with the option of it wasn't like, hey, if you it was she'll just get sick again. And it just it just I really did for two minutes that it was like, well, yeah, no, we'll have a great time and we'll hang out. And just party and do great things. And it's like, how do you know? How do you know the entity is not just going to take his daughter and be like, yo, yeah, and then like kill her or just like eat her essentially? Yeah. Like, yeah, no, she's my friend. It's like, you don't know anything. You don't know anything about about this entity. You have no idea what the entity is going to do to your child. Yeah, and he kind of gives the option to like his daughter, and obviously she's gonna say like, "Yeah, I'd rather be like out here than right, right." So he's like, "Well, okay, well she chose right, right," and it's it's fine because she's like, even she's like, "Well, if you want me to go back in the buffer, like I'll do it." It's just that I get what yeah. they're doing. They wanted to give Mbenga a happy ending, and they don't want the daughter to die, and it's like. How do you really do this? And how do you make it like really touching and beautiful? It's like, I get what the writers are trying to do. Yeah. But at the same time, it's definitely something that I feel like what should have happened was 
the he him and Rakia work it out. She goes back in the pattern buffer, and then maybe seasons later, episodes later, mm-hmm. you know, time goes by, and then he's like, "I can't get a cure. She's near death. Captain, take me back to the nebula." And then he takes her back, and and now now yep. this moment at the end happens rather than well, Just I guess immediately, uh, yeah, it's like. I can see that. I totally can see that. It just happens so quick to me, and it's. I feel like a real parent would never, would never do that. No. <laughs> I think he's pretty hopeless in this episode. I agree. I, I agree. I think he just. Every time people are like, "Hey, so how's it? How's the research going?" and he's just like nowhere closer ever right, to like right. finding anything, and he's just. But you know what? Too. Um, that last episode didn't that um oh lift us were suffering ends with the first, yeah first servant didn't yeah. didn't that guy like like teach him some stuff about like curing diseases he basically was like the guy basically went to him and was like i'm not going to give you the technology to heal her but i will like show you some things to help you with your research yeah, so I don't you think just kind of yeah. imply that it didn't do didn't do it too well. Yeah, it didn't do much. So yeah, kind of more towards your point for him to just be like, okay, well, uh, I tried everything, right? <laughs> like, uh, go with this entity that I, you know, who knows what? Yeah, who knows what to, to do? And they they give they give her a nice send off as we're gonna get into, and it's fine, but it's just it's just as he relinquishes his daughter. Who he's like, he's hiding from Starfleet, you know. Yeah, right. He's, he's gone a long way. Hurting his physical and mental being by trying to find a cure. And, you know, he almost like went against Starfleet protocols to get that guy, as you're talking about, like to give that guy like any information or even heal her. Like he'll take genetic uh, all enhancements to heal his daughter. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't care about Starfleet protocol. Yeah. And then yeah, and he and he's even put like crew members in danger because right. you know, like won't take power away from the unit. And then here he is, he meets this entity for two minutes, and he's like, Yeah, you yeah, you can have her. <laughs> that is true. You know, I didn't even think about that really when I was watching the episode. It it's just he relinked, he just I think. And it's fine. It's like, it's not a thing where it breaks the episode. I just think there needed to be a a much more discussion or this needed to be drawn out more in the sense of like, have him return to this thing. Like when he is at, he, like his daughter's now dying, like dying, dying, like Mm -hmm. in the process of getting sicker and going to die more like, no, she has hours to live type of thing. Or it's like in the pattern buffers, her, her, her DNA or is starting to like degrade and he can't keep putting her in the buffer and just anything, you know? Yeah. And he yeah, begs no. Pike to return to this thing. I agree with that. I agree with that. It, it's, it's funny that like, this is the first season of the show and they, they kind of like, it's like they want Mbanga to be free. Like, so they don't yeah. have to always keep writing like, okay, so he's doing this because of his daughter. And I was like, well, then why did you write that into his character right. anyway? If you wanted to like immediately get rid of, like, stop tying him down to that. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of interesting. 
Yeah, they do the the the, the weird thing that they they do that a lot this series specifically is like they'll introduce something and then they're like okay resolve it resolve it as quickly yeah. as you can. And you're like okay yeah we don't want to get bogged down in that <laughs> it's like well you're you're writing this thing like it's okay. i think what it is is i think it's two things is they don't know when they're going to get canceled so they're like okay you introduce this crazy thing about this character it's like we'll resolve it as quickly as possible so that this show yep blends nicely between multiple series <laughs> yeah it was, it's interesting like for me as like a new viewer i'm used yeah. to like these things being like very long storylines right right and then right. i feel like i just learned about his daughter like three episodes ago essentially yep, exactly and now it's like okay so that's all wrapped up you know, his daughter lives out in the nebula yeah. and she's an adult woman now and everything's fine. And right. he made the right decision. And now he can just heal the crew and just move on. <laughs> right, right, right. Like, wow. So kind of like more towards your point, too, like that first episode where you see that he has a daughter is right. kind of rushed. too. Oh, terribly so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like you said, like if, if this was their plan, then they couldn't have done this in that other episode because no. that was literally like the last episode. Yep. Wow. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. It's, I don't know. I, I wish, sometimes you wish I could just like sit down with the writers and just be like, why did, why? Like what, yeah. what was your thinking here? That's why I like finding like podcasts mm -hmm. with like writers and you really hear like, okay, so we've like, we literally talked about this and discussed <laughs> it. And this is why we didn't do this. And you're like, oh, that makes so much more sense. Yeah. Like you appreciate yeah, or they bring up something that you forget about when you watch the episode and you're like, oh, yeah. oh, oh, you're like, yeah. Remember when this person says this thing? It's like, this is why we made that decision. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Yeah, that's true. Sometimes though, you and I think you you'll laugh when you say sometimes though you'll you'll listen to writers when they say things and you're like, oh, they're stupid. Oh, they <laughs> don't even know what the material of their own thing is. And gotcha. <laughs> like, oh, they don't get it. <laughs> yeah. Imagine that. Imagine doesn't happen. Imagine being a creator and a writer of this like medium, and then you have all these like people like us on the internet. And, you know, we love the show and we get, yeah. you know, we just go crazy with it. And then you say something about a character that you've created and written. Yeah, and right. fans are just like, that's not what that character would do. That is nothing. <laughs> and it's just like, wow. Like, I wrote the character, you know. Yeah. Like, I would know what the character does. Like, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with how he would act and talk and what he's thinking and. It, the classic thing, right, is is uh, George Lucas argues with the fans that Han Solo didn't shoot first. Mm -hmm. It's like, what are you talking about, George? You literally made him shoot first. <laughs> and then he went in and like red it and deleted that out of the, you know, when yeah. he re-released it. That's like, now it's what are you talking about? <laughs> He's a smuggler. What do you care? What do you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do you care? It's just one of those things, right, where it's like the fans are like, no, that's that's what that's what Han Solo does, and he's like, mm -mm. nope. 
<laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> he does. He just did this. He tried to do this to all the fans. Yeah. Greedo shot first, and the fans were like, and then they were all Watto, basically, right? They're like, yeah. I don't know what you're doing, but that doesn't I don't work. Know these are the Jedi man bears on me. Yeah. And then he like re releases it. <laughs> he re releases it and, and then he's like, Yeah, so Han Solo didn't shoot first. And everyone's like, No, he did. And then he's like, Oh, sounds like you have some copyright material at your house that needs to be <laughs> taken care of. <laughs> You're yeah. not supposed to own those forms of media. <laughs> <laughs> The thing I always find too funny with that, specifically with the Star Wars thing, they do it with Star Trek too. They have like the 4K and the remastered and director's cut and all that stuff. But the thing that's crazy to me is like every single time they've released Star Wars to the fans Mm -hmm. on any media, something in it has changed. Oh, yeah. It's like when it went sometimes like drastic. Yeah. It's like when it went from theaters to VHS. It's like they changed certain stuff in the film, like certain characters, like noises were different, visuals were different. And then That's it was so the weird. DVD set, and they were like, well, now Han Solo doesn't shoot, he doesn't shoot first, and just weird, weird stuff. That mm-hmm. overlay of like R2 and the rocks and the animals walking by and stuff. Yeah, yeah, literally on like Tatooine when they're like, yeah, coming into Tatooine, you got all these stormtroopers on those big like do back things, and it's like, yep. oh, okay, well, that really helps the story. I and then it didn't even stop, right? Because then it, when it went to Disney Plus too, they like changed it again. They changed a whole bunch of stuff when it went to Disney Plus. It's crazy. they can't they can't keep their hands off the stupid stuff. <laughs> I don't get. It. That's all right. That's for a different podcast. When we get to it in a few months. <laughs> we'll see you guys for the 150th anniversary of Star Wars. Star Wars. <laughs> and I'm sure it'll have changed again. <laughs> Seeing the choices he had, Mbenga kneels next to his daughter and tells her that her friend wants her to go with them. She asks if he can come too. And Benga reminds her about how, in the story, King Ridley wanted to keep the Mercury Stone as it protected him and made him happy until he learned it had a soul and that it would die if he held on to it. He had to let it go, even if it meant he would not be happy anymore. For Mbenga, Rukia was his Mercury Stone. He recalls how he told her she could write her own stories someday, and perhaps that time was now. But it was up to her. She chooses to go with her friend and embraces her father for the last time. Hemmer begins to shake again and collapses onto Mbenga's bunk. As he does, a swirling energy projects from his body and surrounds Rukia, who giggles, saying it tickled, before she is taken away into the nebula. Mbenga is left standing alone, staring at where she had been, before the light shimmers and materializes again. Mbenga is shocked to see it is Rukia again, now a grown woman. She thanks him, saying he was right about the adventures she had had, and all that she had seen. Mbenga is confused, as she had just left mere seconds before. 
but seconds for him were years for Rakia and Deborah. The doctor is moved to hear that Rakia named her friend for her mother and how the grown Rakia looked so much like her. She was happy and safe now, and she assures him that he did the right thing. She knows that they will meet again someday, but for now, he had to live his own life, create his own stories, and asks him to promise her that he will be happy. With tears in his eyes, he does. She kisses his cheek and disappears. Because I'm the yeah. cynical, cynic person that I am, immediately she disappears, and I thought she'd be like, uh, Daddy! Like, it was really no. terrible. What is happening? What is happening? <laughs> <laughs> and, then, uh-huh. and then come back, and it's like, Hello, Father. I uh-huh. am an older Rukia. And it's not. It's just it's like... Just like- just like using her and like just pretending like it worked out so good dr and benga oh uh-huh. it worked out so good she's having such a good time she was delicious <laughs> delicious mm. yeah her fear was so yummy <laughs> oh man. just yeah yeah that is true why, why do we always go that route because like when she when she was like oh it tickles it's like yeah. immediately you're like, mm, <laughs> it probably doesn't. <laughs> no. Oh, daddy, it tickles. <laughs> it's too late, old man. You... It's too late. <laughs> yeah. Oh, or like I just pictured like her getting like beamed back down and she's just like, why did you do this? Why did you listen? <laughs> she didn't understand how humans were. Yeah. <laughs> you see me with a stranger. <laughs> I've been here for four hundred years. <laughs> I've seen too much. <laughs> Kill me. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I don't know why our brain always goes there. <laughs> After the light fades and Benga is back in uniform, and Hemmer regains consciousness, complaining of the worst headache, and is confused to be in the doctor's quarters. The last thing he recalls is becoming stuck in the Jonesian Nebula. So, kind of like the the real reality is like there's now nobody, but probably Una, right? That he tells later mm-hmm. in the scene. Like, nobody knows what happened. He's the only person who knows. Nobody knows about his daughter. Like, it's just it's yeah. just so sad for him at the end of it. Like, he loses his daughter. Yes, she's happy, quote-unquote, and blah, blah, blah. But it's just like... Yeah. I was just like, this sucks, dude. Like, you just lost your kid, and then nobody can... You can't relate to anybody. Nope. Nobody knew. Nobody knew about it to begin with, and nobody knows now. Yeah. And he has to live with the haunting dreams of remembering everybody in yeah. uniform it would have been funnier too if like everybody kind of woke up and they were like let's like never talk about this <laughs> ever again <laughs> i'm not gonna speak about it yeah <laughs> all right here's the finale chief medical officer's personal log supplemental none of the crew remember what happened the entity's doing my daughter's doing 
I'm sure. The surveillance logs are blank. It's as if every one of them lost five hours, except for me. As Mbenga reaches the end of the Kingdom of Elysian, Una is standing in the entrance to his office, addressing him by his first name, Joseph. She asks about Rukia, and he is content to know that she was alive and safe. He has been through something he considers extraordinary, and yet no one on the ship remembers. Una realizes he knows what happened during the missing five hours and thinks it sounds like a heck of a story. The doctor smiles and agrees that it is. It begins like all good stories, he says, once upon a time. And that concludes episode eight, The Elysian Kingdom. Yay. The funny thing is, I was thinking in that episode is like, did they not, did Pike not immediately call all senior staff to the bridge and be like, okay, we noticed mm-hmm. that we're missing five hours of time because the ship's, you know, t- clock is saying that we missed five hours. Like, yeah, all all air, all departments report in, and then Benga just sat there and was like, "I don't know anything," and then went yeah. down to his office. How, and, yeah, yeah, right. How weird, man. That's weird. <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> and then Una comes down and is just like hey, how's it going with your daughter's research? And he's just like, oh, but I know about the missing five oh. hours. Like, Wouldn't what? you like to know? Wouldn't <laughs> you like to know about it? It's all here in this book. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And Ortega yeah. like Ortega wakes up without like her face all split open. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just one of those things that they do. They're like, quickly, quickly, tie it up with a bow, tie it up with a bow, quickly, quick. Mm-hmm. we only got five seconds left <laughs> <laughs> all right now we are at the best part of the episode we're at the part Woo. where Caleb. 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 i have no strong emotions one way <laughs> or another <laughs> who gets the Elizabeth Cutler Award for being most forgettable. Kirk. Oh, God. <laughs> he really isn't in this, which is bad. I know. Everyone else is in it. Yeah. Nope. Everyone but Kirk. There were no and characters I, in the book. No cooks allowed. What if and I, um, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the little dog. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Because, like, what did they just materialize that dog? Out of right, nothing? right. As, that was Kirk. So, no. So, uh, yeah, that makes sense. That actually makes more sense than anything else. <laughs> and last week I said Hammer because Hammer wasn't in it. Yeah. So, yeah. this work as we going back to Kirk. Going back to Till I see him again. Till I see him again, it'll be Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> Who is the MVP and gets the Trip Tucker Award? Uh, Dr. Mbango. Yeah. Puts it together pretty good. Yeah. And he, he's able to hold the episode on his own. That's true. Know. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. 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 All right. What was the best action sequence and gets the Shran Award? Probably just some of the sword fighting was pretty good. Okay. It's entertaining. Yeah. All right. What was some sweet ship stuff 
and gets the NX award. I really like the Med Bay oh, being okay. yeah, like yeah. a tapestry, like all sorts of like cool stuff in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was fun the, to see. It was fun to totally see the Med Bay. Look, like wildly different, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like if I, like, yeah, like you're walking into like a uh, whatever you call it in like Skyrim, and it's just like roots oh, yeah. and butterfly wings. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I like too in that one scene, she had like the lantern, like when they were coming down the thing. Mm-hmm. Down, oh lantern. yeah, Pike. Pike has the lantern one time too, and they're walking. Oh, does down he? Oh, okay. Through the forest, yeah. Okay. It's just cool. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I like the set design of the ship. What was the cheesiest thing and gets the Porthos Award? It's funny because, like, we just were talking about last time, it was like the Jeff, the Jeffries tubes. So yeah. that part, that part where Spock's like, "Oh, you got to go through the secret swamp of doom," and <laughs> like, "Oh, is there any way around that?" And he's like, "Yes, there is a secret path," and it's like just the Jeffrey tube. It's like, yeah, how do you explain that? That's the that's a. <laughs> it's like <laughs> so funny. So that was kind of cheesy. Like yeah, okay. It's funny. I said the best action scene was the sword fighting, but I could also give the most cheesy part to the sword fighting scene. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She like very blatantly like, mm, mm, and then like sweeps her leg mm, like really slow, and it's like, yeah, this is some pretty slow sword fighting choreography. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was pretty cheesy. So we'll go with Pollux. a lot of it was Bach Pollux revealing the Jeffries too. Yeah. A lot of it was cheesy. I mean, that's kind of the whole episode was. The whole episode is cheesy. Yeah, a big sure. cheese fest. Yeah, <laughs> that's very true. Okay, so then what? What's the best scene? What gets the Enterprise Award? I'm gonna say when Hammer transports everybody <laughs> out of the hallway. That's like my favorite scene of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's that pretty good. That is. Yeah. That's. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only scene I like outwardly like laughed. Oh yeah, yeah. You know. The whole from him starting to doing that, like, yeah, and then like and then the conclusion <laughs> of him beaming, yeah, like the all of it was good. Yeah, that was pretty good. All right. Well, now it's time for you folks to write in the comments below what you thought of the episode. Let us know. If you enjoyed the fairy tale story, if you liked Hemmer being silly in that part with the communicator, mm-hmm. and if you also didn't like how Mbenga was kind of totally fine with his daughter being taken by a random consciousness in a nebula. Yeah. Now the hats come off because we talk about next week's episode. <laughs> We're no longer in the Elysium Kingdom. For next week, we're going to be covering episode nine of Strange New Worlds. The episode entitled, All Those Who Wander. Are lost in space. (laughs) So, I wish I could spoil anything for you, but I'm not going to. But those who have seen it will know. That'll be next week. My current assumption of this show so far now is now that we're like almost done with this first season, mm-hmm. is that like, like you said, like everything that they write, they're like, okay, got to wrap it up. Got to wrap it up. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 
Yep. And then they got they got like scheduled for season two, and then like, hey, let's change the entire history. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. And now, and now they're gonna be like, wrap it up, wrap it up before season three. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. Pretty it's much. Not looking forward to that. Yeah. Yeah, you you're, you get used to them introducing ideas, and you're like, well, that's really cool. And then three episodes later, Done. it's resolved. It's gone. You know what though? It's kind of. Uh, I do kind of enjoy that too because uh like I just came off of um like Enterprise. Yeah. And that last season, like the Zindi stuff, it kinda it yeah. kinda dragged a little bit, you know. It does. It does. So kind of watching Star Trek and it's like fast paced and like things change like episodically. You're like, okay, yeah. this is pretty sweet. Yeah, you don't know what you're gonna get into when you go to watch an episode of old Trek. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, what's this week? What's going to happen? You have no idea. But with stuff like that, when it's like mm-hmm. when they start getting into, you know, serialized television, it's like, okay, it's different things happen, but there's always that underlying current of like, oh, well, yep, they're still trying to find the Zindi weapon. Like, yeah, okay. It's like, but everyone on the ship is turning into pink goop. And you're like, okay. Cool. But yeah. it's it's but terrifying is... because they need to find the Zindi weapon. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is bad, yeah. Yeah, I know. And then they finally do all the Zindi stuff, and then yeah. and then there's like four episodes of the um new Gen X thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like as good as like as good as that stuff is, it just was like it just came off of that like you know yeah. whole season worth of like uh, yeah. And totally. you're just like okay, like I want to see other stuff. <laughs> I agree. You know, I the whole concept of them like coming back to Earth and you know, like telling everybody about their mission and you know all that stuff. Like yeah. I, I wanted to see all that stuff, and it was immediately like, okay, we got to send the Enterprise out and go find the this yeah. bad guy. It's like why can't like Enterprise Two go do it? The why can't NXO Two go do it or? anybody else like they just got back from a <laughs> war mission and like hey yeah but this guy he um he's out there now gotta go find him yeah it would have been cool if they focused on the columbia and just let stuff just be yeah and like follow that crew for a little bit for an episode or two or something right yeah it would have been cool yeah right yeah yeah when tucker switches over like just follow the columbia for a little bit yeah yeah, so I kind of enjoy this fast pace, like, yeah, keeping it moving. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, as always, if you like the video, like it. If you dislike it, dislike the video. Subscribe to always make sure you see the videos and no- ring that bell for notifications so you don't miss one. As yep. always, you can head over to Caleb's channel and check out all of his videos over there. We have podcast stuff like this. He makes things over there. We're uh, in the process of starting a Star Wars sort of rewatch. Some of it is like brand new for me. So it's he, mm-hmm. it's more like Caleb is rewatching it and I'm seeing it for the first time. So yeah, we, we watched Obi-Wan last year, the yeah. series. And so we watched the clone, the um, prequels and then Obi-Wan. So we're kind of picking up like right after that era. We're starting with Endor. Endor. 
Cashing. I know. Yeah. So we're doing that, and that's fun. It's it'll it's a nice little skip around, and it's it's fun mm-hmm. to watch new Star Trek and watch new Star Wars and just see how just yeah. see how the two worlds are just really different and like they're yep. not they're not the same thing. That's why it's I've fun. always yeah. people in the I was just gonna say people in the out in the ethos of the internet are just like <laughs> oh if you don't like Star Wars you have to like it's like they're so yeah. wildly different that why yeah. do you ever compare it to each other they're so different yep I'm like a huge Star Wars fan and I'm really enjoying going through and watching Star Trek so right there's yeah. like I, I guess I never realized either before like how different they were you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so it's Just like I really I really like like Strange New Worlds because like I like the ship and I like how like the uniforms are clean and everything's like this like peaceful yeah. like world. But I love like the dirty, gritty yeah, yeah, world yeah. of Star Wars. Like Andor is a perfect example like perfect that. Example. You know, it's yeah. just everything is dirty, everything's in space, it's just grimy. Yeah. You know, stuff is just like held together with duct tape and yeah. Yeah, bubble gum and Star <laughs> Wars. Everything is like new and shiny, and yeah. So it's you know best of both, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I 100 percent agree. I would much rather if I had to space travel. I'd much rather <laughs> space travel in like Star Trek than Star. Yeah, wow. because like you're not worried about the ship imploding on itself out in true, space. True. <laughs> and it seems like you have part. You have like means to fix your ship more readily available in Star Trek than in Star Wars. Yeah. True. So yeah, give him watch, give him a like, give him a subscribe. He uh, he puts out some pretty fun stuff over there, and um, it'll probably be a few days from this episode going up. But look for it probably Thursday, Friday. Uh, there should be another uh, Star Trek RPG video on the channel a few days after this. Oh yeah. So we'll. You can look forward to that if that's the content you've been waiting for. Or you originally subscribed and been waiting for RPG content to come along, and this podcast has gotten in your way. You got another episode coming. So. <laughs> yeah, I know. Everybody wants to see what House and Clark are doing. I get it. Yeah. We get gotta it. Gotta wait. Gotta wait. Gotta wait. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Thanks for watching. Computer and program. See ya. Check for any messages. Oh, yes, there is a message here. Uh, let's see. From the captain to all crew, please do the outro. Of the- oh, okay, yes. Take time on my busy doctor schedule here to record a couple things. Oh, Hello. Dr. Stephen House, Chief Medical Officer aboard the USS Drake. Just wanted to record a few reminders for you guys. So here we go. The Retrack Review is a Daystrom Holodeck podcast. It's produced in association with the Plastic Underground Props, hosted by Caleb Stoddard and Will Wilbur, edited by Will Wilbur. Our outro song is by Kaylee Joy Rookledge. 
Our theme song is by Semo Studios. And our outro song is by Tommy T. The title card art was created by Caleb Stoddard. Trophy art was created by Adrian Wilbur from Love by the Letters. The synopsis and written plot provided by memoryalpha.fandom.com. Star Trek is created by Gene Roddenberry. And all official clips and pictures are owned by Paramount Pictures. You can follow us at the Plastic Underground Props and the Daystrom Holodeck on Instagram and YouTube. So, that is it. That is all I had to say. And, uh, uh what? Lizesh, don't touch that.